You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. I have hit record, and I'll cue you in in a moment. Cool. We are good. Pork chop sandwiches, get the fuck out. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. This week, the thing that makes all data important, context. So now that we have presented you last week with all of the data for the last couple of years, growth in crypto, S&P, and the reserve list and the cards we chose therein let's provide some context to that data is what we're diving into mm -hmm. and then we'll basically summarize with hey look how do we feel about this compared to different investment vehicles yep. so let's take it away sure uh so we started with the dow last time we'll start with crypto this time and the 2020 was a difficult year for crypto and i feel like you can say that uh every year but 2020 saw widespread crashes across the entirety of the crypto market. It wasn't just a couple of coins going down or a couple of networks or some isolated things. With the, uh, the Hammerbot activity that we saw that basically just strangled transactions and crashed the market over time. So... That happens in March, we see growth, we see plateaus, we see a crash, and then towards the end of the year, people flood back into the market, right? And I likened it to a gambler's fallacy, where this can't keep going lower, so we'll just hold. However, what we saw when we looked at dream halls was very clearly people swinging into something like the reserve list, there was money pouring in around the same time. And then when a lot of popular coins, you know, coins de schwa, began to show life signs, market corrections, people swung back out of <clears throat> reserve list and cards like dream cards, sorry, dream halls, back into the crypto market mid Q4. And we were able to see that in both the dream halls graph and the crypto graphs that we looked at last week. That will be linked again in the show notes this week. And the, the the two most interesting parts to this is we see active sales on the reserve list, noting movement in the market. But the growth of each of the cards that we looked at shrinks to accommodate the evacuating market. So if we bring up uh, Dream Halls again just because again this is the easiest graph to see we take a look at it on stocks all the periods of growth that we see these stepwise growths are just are just plateaus where people are parking money and then selling out and dream halls is a little easier to manipulate than some of the other things an underground sea on gaia's cradle the exact same thing happens but it's just more difficult to see as there are more sales going on in, in the uh, the market space so we look at cradle and we'll see uh, September through basically the end of the year in 2020 is a plateau and that's people are selling out. So 
the growth shrinks to accommodate the evacuating market. Now, this means that the reserveless market was still active and vibrant, but this did a lot to move cards into the hands of players at a more reasonable cost, which is incredibly ironic. This is something we talked about after the pod last night, and that's the second interesting point that I saw in this, was that without this movement back into crypto, this swing out after a swing in, prices would have continued to grow at such a pace that it just would have eclipsed the numbers that we have at the end of the year, but these people were looking to swing back in, so they'll, they'll take their money. You know, They made their percent, and they're out. They're not here to gouge. They're yeah. just here to sell out, so they're competing with everybody else in the swarm. And I don't know. It, it just seemed really clear-cut and was super surprising from 2020 and it didn't take a whole lot of time to figure that out but what it took to to come up with that summation but it was only upon finding and really looking and analyzing dream halls without dream halls i don't think i would have been able to make that kind of correlation i checked wheel of fortune i checked fork i checked a number of other cards that do see play in commander the problem is as we mentioned last week there's the playable and old school, playable and middle school slash pre-modern paradox where those formats are also gaining in popularity at the same time, so we need something else. And to me, eventually I stumbled on Dreamhalls as a, a great example of this. And basically that that's kind of contextually puts into place everything that I've heard about the crypto market in regards to Magic the Gathering, which is people will cash out when they can and move into yeah. something that is a little more solid, a little more safe, a little more proven for a time being, either permanently or as an interim, either to enter back into crypto or to go somewhere else. Previously, it seemed kind of anecdotal, but when we can see the entire market crash and then direct movement into the reserve list, it seems pretty clear. I think one of the interesting things for me in contextualizing the data is looking at all three of them. You know, in some aspects, uh, magic as a whole resembles crypto because it's an unregulated market. Yep. Uh, so it has manipulation going on. There's buyouts, spikes. Grim Feast was one that I mentioned a buyout. And of course, it's happened a couple times since. Hatred is another one. Uh, Pendril Mists. But then you also have, within Magic, this similarity to stock market. Mm -hmm. And that you have a little bit of industry self-regulation in the reserve list. Where the reserve list has... It's still prone to manipulation, as seen in the lower-end reserve list stuff. Your Ember Wild Caliphs, your Grim Feasts, your Purgatories. Uh, you know, growth occurs there, but a lot more of that is just manipulation. Yeah. But then on the high end, you know, the staples we took a look at, and even to an extent, Dream Halls, great example. Those are significantly less prone to manipulation because of the amount of investment it takes. So those are much more like the regulated aspects of the S&P. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about this, of course, is when you take a look at the external factors that influence stock markets as well as crypto. So obviously, as you touched on, you know, the China crackdown, so to speak, on crypto made a lot of people a little hesitant to go into it. Uh, outside factors like that 
All mm-hmm. of a sudden, we have regulation chase people away. Outside factors for the stock market are global forces. Pandemic was a great example that I cited, and then obviously the Ukrainian conflict. Uh, these things affect the market. Outside of manipulation, the reserve list doesn't really have a lot of outside forces that affect it. Unless Wizards just goes bankrupt all of a sudden, or Hasbro, I don't know, decides to sell it so they can buy Channing Tatum and just have him play every character in a G.I. Joe movie forever. That's really the only thing I can think of, <laughs> you know, but as, as far as like out and out, like outside forces, there's really not a lot there. And that was one of the most fascinating things to look at, because obviously we talk about it and we know it's true. Yeah. But taking a look at, you know, with crypto, some of the factors that cause fluctuations are internal. They're mm-hmm. stuff that people control. Yes. It's governments and organizations and you know rug pulls and stuff like that Mm -hmm. all of a sudden an exchange dies where did the wallet go who has it these are largely like internal within the field whereas the stock market is a lot more external global factors that nobody really controls it's just well i guess i have to deal with this yeah the to to the to that point that's basically what happens uh, to the majority of the overall uh, crypto market in 2021 was, as mentioned last week, Elon Musk tweeted that Tesla wasn't going to be allowing Bitcoin for the purchase of vehicles anymore. JP Morgan says they're divesting and moving into gold. You mentioned the China crackdown. The equivalent to that that I can think of in regards to reserve, reserve list isn't like, oh, I'm buying in or I'm selling out from one individual or one vendor. It's when the entire community comes together and says, hey, we don't care about cards like Invoke Prejudice anymore. Yeah. Right, and then... That's fair, yeah. That, that creates the kind of trader panic that I mentioned last week that forced the 2020 market into a tailspin for a while. That's when you see cards just get absolutely dumpstered. Yeah. Other than that, it's just like, oh, we pump Wall of Kelp because Arcades, a strategist is the new uh you know butts commander wall commander yeah, yeah exactly and wall of kelp is one of like two walls that spits out other walls and is on the reserve list and like yeah of course it tanks because that spike was untenable nobody cared to buy a wall of kelp at 15 dollars. no but card kingdom bought quite a few at six i, I, I look I'm that not was gonna, great yeah i'm not going to comment on the floor on that card but yeah trying to resell yeah. the thing on tcg players seemed like a lost fucking cause yeah. so but like that's kind of 2021 and you see a lot of volatility in the in that space based on what talking head is saying what at any given time or what market is or is not allowing the trade or purchase of cryptocurrency and that market being unregulated as you mentioned is prone to again manipulation but is also like seemingly soft enough that when a large player comes through or a respected player comes through and says, hey, I won't be doing X or get bent, it honestly does impact the market. We saw years ago when Bitcoin first hit 17,000, when it wasn't a pump and dump scheme, it was just a dump scheme when people were like, ah, shit, I want to get out of this now and cash out. That crashed the Bitcoin market for a while and people were able to buy back in and do it again. But like, that's what kind of what happens when it comes to reserve list that is usually one not the case 
almost no one person has enough to splash the pot on anything meaningful. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of people out there that own a lot of chaff, and the market won't reabsorb that, but anything meaningful, uh, one, probably doesn't exist in quantity enough to splash the pot, pot, and two, most likely would be reabsorbed into the ecosystem, especially as it crashes. Uh, you know, yeah. if the if all those pyramids come back out, if that person were just to release the hundreds of pyramids that they have, the ecosystem is not going to reabsorb them. Yeah, but exactly. It's okay. Oh, I was going to say it's same with Urza's bauble. You know, the yeah. the absolute mad lad shout him out again. You did it. Good luck getting anybody to buy that quantity at that number. Yep, but if that quantity of, you know, dual uh, individual dual lands came out to the market, that could effectively crash the price on the yep. marketplace and that quantity will be reabsorbed very quickly because those are meaningful cards in the space those are meaningful entities in the space yep. and when you look at what goes on now with the reserve list and I'll, I'll cycle back to you know what you threw me earlier some of the low end stuff that goes like does a lot of that matter at right now is that the equivalent of i don't know what for stocks would it be the equivalent of like a brand new uh brand new coin we won't you know don't look at nft projects look at things like shiba inu which is basically just the non-meme version of doge so why doge, would you yeah. buy that like yeah. or or other various coins like with decent with decent backing you know some stuff might be worthwhile it might be overlooked uh something like uh cardano which i mentioned last week or anything else that could be a host for yep. nfts or it could just be something like the myriad of marijuana based coins that were created and minted however many years ago yep. and just fall off a cliff you know uh guardian beast yeah that probably should hold a real price but as you used earlier today lifeblood probably not no uh, my man jacques Lavert probably doesn't need a real price and there is and i think will always be a mirror there where there will be these cards that are easily manipulatable because yep. nobody else is buying them nobody's selling them because they don't have a price or they're not paying attention because this, the card is effectively just a dud yep. and thus it is manipulatable easily and highly manipulatable because of that and then you'll see forced movement blah 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 retraction crash and eventually you'll find a new floor on it which is all fine and dandy and that to me is like the only time that the reserve list doesn't mirror crypto really which is you find your new floor a lot faster yeah and it's always a little more steadfast than what we were seeing when we looked at the graphs from 2020 and everything uh came back out of the dip towards the middle of the summer and plateaued you would think that a month-long plateau would mean that you know we're in we, we've seen growth this is our new floor no everything crashed again that like that seems to kind of be the standard the nature of crypto is highly volatile it's not quite like the reserve list even when again and i'll bring back dream halls because you can just see how volatile the reserve list can be here when you look at this this the floor resets every single time to something new it doesn't crash back down and it doesn't just sawtooth by like the day or the week and i i think that's 
one of the interesting things you mentioned there is when you talk about, well, what kind of, you know, stock or coin would this be? Uh, I think there are analogs in the crypto market. There's really not in the stock market. No. And I think that's one uh, largely due to the regulation involved, right? Because you can't really have like a meme company go public. There's so much stuff you have to go through before you can be sold there, or verified. Like, imagine basically if TCG player, rather than let some schlup, you know, go out and sell just because they have a tax ID number, they required the same kind of verification as Wizards Premium. We need a video of your store. We need to come inspect it. We're going to secret shop it. We're going to do all this stuff. And because of that, there's a lot more because that doesn't exist in Magic. Yeah. There's a lot more opportunity for that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the really telling things, and especially Dream Halls, again, is perfect indication of relation between the markets. You know, last year may have been the only time uh, since the reserve list that I think the S and or the the Dow Jones actually outperformed the reserve list growth over a calendar year yep. because it, you know, started at 20 and ended at 36. I, that's almost a hundred percent growth. The reserve list is never going to do that. But when you talk about floors, is that floor tenable? Because since then it's only gone down. So it may be that, you know, to me, maybe, the reserve list is the most stable of the three do you feel like it's more stable than crypto the reserve list absolutely okay like as an investment i mean like obviously yeah the opportunity for growth in the the, in the security space where crypto is, is based it is and will always remain incredible um but the fact that you can just storm anything can storm in pull eyes and then dip worries me. Like if I if right now if I told you Radio Shack was gaining, where do you think it's gaining? Obviously not the reserve list. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to hear you tip tapping away. I, where do you think? Do you think it's the? I didn't even. I didn't think it existed. Stock market, <laughs> stock market or crypto? Which one? Uh, crypto, because I don't think it exists anymore. Correct. It is right? the number three trending coin right now. Okay, that's what I thought. They're yeah. they're, they're building a <laughs> uh, a multi protocol or a multi chain coin. They're trying to become sure. relevant again, and yeah. but this is what I'm talking about. Like you, you just pull eyes, good projects rot because something yeah. else comes in, looks flashy, and one or both of them eventually f- fall down and die. And you've got to be very discerning with what you do. And this is not to speak on anything regarding nfts because that is a whole nother ball the ball of wax that's technology built on this that, that would be like suggesting that ftvs are all good investments and that's not the case annihilation is not relics is and how do you how do you determine which one is and which one isn't oh. when you're looking at them in the moment um without really enough history to determine like well obviously well, Relics is a bad example because it has reserve list cards in it. Um, Exile. Dragons was a fine... It it has like a... Sealed is a few hundred dollars. Providence, so that's the first one. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Exiled. Yeah. It, it is... 
all cards that were banned. So I think like mm -hmm. Sensei's Divining Top was the highlight. All right, at that point in time, yeah. Sensei's Divining Top is dirt. Nobody's playing Commander, right? So is that the one, or is Annihilation the one? Like at a glance, based on the various inputs, it might be Annihilation because board wipes are played more than anything else in that banned FTV. And trying to figure that out on the spot regards as you look at NFTs is extremely difficult, so I really don't want to broach that other than, like, theory empowers it, cool. And if I was going to put money into anything anymore, it would most likely be that or whatever the next target f host for NFTs would be. That's the only way I would feel truly safe buying into this market right now. But that's also with the benefit of hindsight for what's going on in the 2020 market which is just a continuous dumpster fire yeah and crash and i would just if i was in anything large that wasn't bitcoin or ethereum i would probably ripcord and move into either individual stocks uh, something like the snp to get a nice diverse basket or the reserve list if there were some odds and ends that I wanted to pick up or own. I think all of that is a safer investment right now than just moving into or really being deep into the the crypto market. Although I do want to circle back to um, your comment about meme companies. Meme companies don't go live. And there is this really funny thing that happens when either AMD or NVIDIA stagnates. And it's that their stocks look like memes because you just see yeah. swing back from one to the other. That's true. Their graph is ridiculous. Yeah. Now, what about you, though? So I think for me, again, COVID impacted a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, what this really said to me, looking at the reserve list and especially the staples and especially Dream Halls and Grim Feast. So I'm a big fan of vice funds when it comes to the Dow Jones or the S&P. And vice funds, for those of you that don't know, it's literally alcohol, tobacco, firearms, porn, marijuana. What do people do when they can't spend money? They stay home, they get drunk, they smoke, and they jerk off. Yep. That's just what happens. So in times of economic downturn, those tend to outperform everything else. Hmm. So looking at fiscal year 2020, looking at 2021, and looking at what's going on now in 2022... Uh, obviously, stimmy checks helped. That made a banner year for the reserve list in 2020. But we continued to see comparable growth in 2021 after the stimmy checks had dried up. Yep. So if that's the case, all of a sudden to me, this says, all right, well, all of a sudden, those are vice funds now. Those are something that I can take. And I can know I can park money in this underground sea and this guy's cradle in this dream halls. Yep. And I know it's not necessarily like recession proof, obviously, but it's a solid investment that I can park my money in. And in times of economic downturn, it's probably going to do very well because people will still want to take solace in their hobbies because the people that want it still want it. And the price is still the price. So looking at that and looking at the factors that kind of played into affecting the stock market over 2020 and 2021, you know, the more I look at that, the more I realize, no, the, the reserve list really is similar to vice funds and it is outside force proof 
in a negative way. Uh, it's not like outside forces are going to act on magic and all of a sudden the cards are worthless. Again, what's going to happen is Wizards cancels the game, Hasbro cancels Wizards, or something like that. But by and large, outside factors like tax returns, mm -hmm. stimulus checks, whatever, can only help the reserve list. Uh, so looking at the comparison between those two, that, you know, more and more, I think, yeah, that seems like a pretty sound investment compared to something like Dow Jones or the S&P or the NASDAQ. And one of the really telling things for me was looking at all of this and seeing, all right, again, Dream Halls helped a lot because you're right. It is spot on when the crypto crashes happen. Uh, seeing that the new plateau is set and that plateau kind of sticks, right? Yep. We don't really have that with the Dow and the S&P and the NASDAQ uh, long term. Over the course of a year or two, we do. But looking back at the history of the last hundred years of the stock market, we can see that there's really no sure like floor on it anymore. I remember as a kid when 10,000 points was a dream. And now we're hitting 30. And if it dips below 30, it's another depression all of a sudden. So knowing that that is not necessarily as constant, whereas the reserve list is basically death taxes and the reserve list going up and Wizards of the Coast making poor decisions. Those are the four things you can rely on. Uh, it makes it seem like a very sound investment. And especially when you contextualize like, okay, stimmy checks, that helped. Mm -hmm. Tax return helps every year. What's another event that helps every year? Well, when it was happening, if you were to go a little bit further back in the reserve list, eternal weekend when it was in person all of a sudden you see another surge and contextualizing that within the time of year mm. that's christmas that's fall yeah that's when the economy is doing really well because all of a sudden we've got all this money it's time to spend and give gifts and then you see the reserve list start to hit a boom as well and that's again one of the things that kind of made me think maybe this is a little bit more similar to a dow jones with minimal regulation obviously but it seems more like a traditional investment in that regard mm -hmm. excepting dream halls where all of a sudden you see this movement from one field to another yeah now, before heading into picks the one thing i'm curious to see is what happens through the rest of 2020 right now it seems like the reserve list is just in a holding pattern and as we mentioned last week the reason we delayed the series of episodes was because the u.s had historically low return rates for tax returns and yeah. thus the reserve list is just kind of it's not sputtering it's just rather stagnant right now um, yeah you know take a look at uc you know it's basically been around 960 i think it's it's now down to 840 and cradle's just been a solid uh like 1k yep. since the beginning of the year and the thought was all right we'll delay this wait for the tax returns to flow through wait for the money to flow into the reserve list and then it didn't but as we were getting to a point where we were comfortable recording this then we had like that collapse in the in well collapses in the crypto market the unfortunate yeah. series of events it's funny to laugh about now but We'll see if what what that truly impacts in the next couple of yeah. months. Uh, expectation is that 
uh, stagnant through the summer and pick up in the fall. You know, we're heading into sure. vacation time here in North America, so I don't think anybody's really going to be spending money in Gaia's Cradle when they can just be paying for the gas instead. Yeah, out exactly. All right. Picks? Yes. It's been a few weeks. I don't remember who went first. Uh, I think I went first last time, but I'll go first again. I don't mind. I don't mind. All right, that works. Cool. You got it. All right. So uh, this week I am looking at Thousand Year Elixir, a card that I haven't been hasn't been on my list officially as a watch card for a while, but it's just something that's been floating around in my head for a while because I thought this was worth a ton more than it was. Uh, yes, but also no. Um, it did spike to like over 10 at one point in time and i think that's where it just kind of caught my eye like a year and a half ago and so i just never got around to putting it on there because it never hit the ck hot list and then i just decided f it let's do it yeah so uh it's been on my list for i think two or three weeks now ck was buying 25 lorwin at 450 they're now buying 28 still at 450 and there were 92 on tcg player for six dollars three cents and that number is basically the same as it was when i added this it was 94 at 615 like this card is just flat right now and that's why i wanted to pick it i think now is actually a very good time to start looking at thousand year elixir so the card itself you know you can see historically extremely flat then it pops at uh return to return to return to rav up to 10 flattens for a while goes up and then comes back down and, and settles at a new floor albeit higher than it was prior to the initial spike at about six dollars all in all not the greatest price graph for something like this but again we want to get ahead of it that uh that crash is from commander 2021 printing and also being on the list so we were looking at a card that was rare scarce um, and priced accordingly and that price jump uh, it's a little difficult to suss out right now, and you'll see why. So, as far as this card is concerned, in EDH, it's highly playable in any decks that utilize their commander's activated ability as the quote-unquote theme of the deck. And, like, yeah, sure, it works with everything else that taps, every other creature that taps to do something, but the more you dig into Thousand Year Elixir, the more you recognize the fact that this is very much a synergistic card with seemingly just the commander. Uh, not a lot of not a card that's meant to work with the 99 and not the commander yeah. so on the, looking at it by itself it's a highly performative piece of uh, piece for combo control and mid-range style decks alike this isn't foundational to any any strategies though it does provide a type of haste on a colorless card making it squarely useful for its color agnostic nature and the untap ability that it has so the second ability is one in a colorless untapped target creature so to be clear even the control and mid-range strategies utilizing elixir have access to a number of game ending combos but most of those decks prevents sorry present such combos as an eventuality not the primary plan so if you're going to dig through wreck uh, like we will in a moment and you start seeing uh, you know like uh Oscar and uh, Mariki Reed Barrett, Arkham Dra uh, Dagson, like yeah, these generals 
all have a combo somewhere in the deck because they yeah. can, but it is not the primary game plan for the majority of them. So that's what I mean. So from a pure combo perspective, Elixir plays the same role as any enchantment that Blanket gives haste to your creatures, or in some cases, it even replaces Lightning Greaves. So what I'm talking about here is Fervor, Fires of Yavimaya, Concordant Crossroads. These just give haste to uh, Hammer Perforce, gives haste to everything on your board. So this is a redundant piece here. This is incredibly important as a number of the quote-unquote standard combos you see associated with Thousand Year Elixir are mono green, mono black, or they mix in white for, among other things, Emil the Blessed Shenanigans. And this is the jumpstart Pegasus, that exile stuff. And when it comes back, it comes back with a counter. Two, if it was another Pegasus. And those colors are light or don't have blanket haste options, primarily mono black. Mono green has concordant crossroads, and I believe that's it. So Thousand Year Elixir is really the only other way you're going to give your general or your creatures a way to tap outside of boots of various pairs. Yeah. So in the strategies mentioned above, this is a redundancy piece, pure and simple. For mid-range and control decks, this plays more into the activated ability of a commander. So as I mentioned, uh, Osgur, uh, Mariki, and Arkham Dagson, they take advantage of both halves of the card and play into a slower strategy. So they have tap abilities that you actually want to cycle through again. You Mariki, not so much because when you untap Mariki, you lose control of the creature that you steal, but the ability to untap Mariki at instant speed and take control of something on your opponent's turn is also rather valuable. So while these decks can function without Thousand Year Elixir, having it lets you quote-unquote get to the board faster and play to your plan and theme without having to wait to untap. Now, looking across the entire format, adoption overall is low as it seems commanders with activated abilities have waned in favor of large ETB effects or just passive abilities. However, within the niche of commanders with tap abilities, this really should be a rock star. And just before the cast, I did a little bit of legwork on this. And some of those commanders where this was a rock star and could still be if they were continued to be played are cards like Drowlnew Lichlord, Angus McKenzie, and Kaidel Chosen of Crufix. Now, the important thing to know about these is they are kind of like the old guard of commander, the, these, these generals. And so it makes sense that as they fall out of favor, this card kind of goes with it because people aren't building those decks anymore. But this is another one of those cards that just seems like it got lost to the sands of time, despite the fact that it is extremely good for what it does. And that's why I want to get ahead, get ahead of it now. Timeline, timeline on this. Based on current sales, we're looking at 9 to 12 months to reach a critically low uh population which is the driver we are looking for the corresponding price correlation and then the new floor right so it's all going to be in nine months critically low population that's going to be our driver and with that comes a price correction and that floor hopefully closer to 10 like we saw after uh, return to return to return to rev this card is a very slow and steady drip now the 2019 spike looks to be driven entirely by prime speaker vanifar as I mentioned, 
it was a little hard to suss out because it was just one card and that seemed ridiculous to 1.5 Exus overnight. But that's not speaking yeah. to CEDH, where I believe Vanifar was really good at the time or was expected yeah. to be good. So while that growth at the time was unsustainable, it did reset the floor and it is the reset that we saw that we're interested in and looking to get ahead of when this disappears from the market. We saw the reset hold once, the reset's going to hold again. And that's where we want to be. Um, reprint equity on this one, I think this is just super low. Super, super yeah. low. Because it's really weird wording combined with uh, supplemental only reprints right now leads me to believe that we're not going to get this in a standard set anytime soon. There was this objective to simplifying the game, and what Thousand Year Elixir does is antithetical to that. So I believe if we're going to see it, we're going to going, we're going to continue to see it in these supplemental sets, and I don't think that's really going to be uh, damning to the price in the long run, especially if a lot of these generals with tap abilities start seeing this card added back to those lists. And I think one of the interesting things about this card especially is, all right, so we've got it on the list. Cool. In this case, I think the list is long-term good for this card because if it ever gets insane, they can just leak a few into the list and there's a few more out there, but not enough to overall really be detrimental to the price, but just enough that people can say, okay, well, we're able to pull it from packs. I guess we don't really need a full-on reprint of this card yep. yet. And I think that's, you know, looking at when you talk about reprint equity, it's, I don't believe that Thousand Year Elixir was, like, in the lore of Lorwyn. Uh, so I don't think it's, like, something specific to Lorwyn. But the fact that it's not popular enough, it's not well-known enough, really, to have a need to be on a full-on standard set, or even a supplemental set at this point, yep. really lends itself to the list in terms of reprint equity being incredibly low. Uh, and that's, that's I think, one of the best parts about the card. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Nope, that's fine. Uh, you're, 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 you're just talking to into the point as well that I was making, which is also like, the wording on this card is easy to understand, but from a simplification of the game standpoint, that's not yeah. the easiest bunch of words to put on a card. And I just don't think it musters. No, and, I, I don't either. Yeah. Uh, I, the last point I had, again, uh, just by quantity, uh, I have uh, just a handful from collections that I've bought over time. And based on what i've seen from card kingdom and their uh, sales velo i don't think going above two play sets is a great move overall um, this is a solid place to park a little bit of money for the midterm but without a huge new driver i wouldn't want to be holding the bag on too many copies not because yeah. i think it dips and you're gonna lose out but i think just like this is gonna rope for too long and this is another like not a pick i like to make a lot but it is the kind of pick where i think you're safe for a while picking up a small number of these to churn later and just set aside yeah you can you'll the rest of your money you can park somewhere else most likely in your pick and do a lot better with that in the long term or the shorter term while a thousand year can you can just like cook 
no reason yeah. to tie up too much capital. Yeah, so get get two sets, throw it in a box, forget about it. Check on it. Uh, my pick, on the other hand, is one that should be blatantly obvious to anyone that understands how magic works. Uh, and that is, you need lands. And what's the thing you should start every format with? Buying the mana base. So, Rafine's Tower. Uh, now, I want to say this is just the one I have chosen of the Capenna Triomes to use as the example. So right now, we're kind of at a valley for this card. Low is sitting around like $7 to $8. Uh, analog, let's go back and take a look at Ketria Triome. Currently low on the standard version, oh, okay, Fleabag, uh, is $14. Now, when it started out, it was a $12 pre-order. And it cratered down to about $4 within about a month of release or two. Now we're looking at about a month or two since release on Rafine's Tower. After that month or two crater, we just see steady growth over the next year until eventually we end up at a low of $14. Now, everybody needs lands. This is a newly finished cycle in shards that are all popular in EDH. Uh, I would venture to guess most playgroups probably have as many, if not more, three-color decks as they do two-color decks. Just because it's, you know, two colors where most people start, and then they like to branch out after that. So not only do we have that, we have a little bit of modern pioneer playability to these cards as well to add to liquidity. So basics. Quantity, unlimited. As many as I can get, I would be fine parking into this, knowing that we're looking at about a year timeline on the return. Now, one of the important things to look at as well is obviously we have a bunch of different versions of this card. True. That's one of the nice things about the Akoria version, because guess what? We have multiple versions of that card there as well. Uh, some of which are obviously really cool looking. The full arts from that, I would venture to say, are better looking than the ones from New Capenna just a thought uh now if you take a look at the growth of the topper or sorry the alt art ketria trium same deal starts real low and then goes up now for rafine's tower as an example we've been at 40 to 20 the whole time we are still at 20 dollars. that's exactly where ketria trium is now so on that one, I'd be a little bit more cautious about what kind of growth you can expect to see. Just because based on what we've seen historically, sure, it should raise up over the course of a year. But do you really see it doubling in price going from 20 to 40 the way Ketria Triome went from 10 to 20? Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm actually sticking with the most affordable version of this card. Just a normal set, not extended art not alternate art, not borderless, whatever the hell they're calling it now. I would stockpile as many of these as you can because it's something that will always have liquidity. People will be happy to trade out for it to even trades, happy to trade into it to even trades. It's got a really good, nice, like 5 to 10 to $20 finisher bill kind of look to it. Uh, and again, you're probably looking at about a year, so this is going to be a slow burn. I wouldn't park any more into it than you're absolutely comfortable doing. But I don't think on especially 
plain specific lands like this because Rafine's tower is specific to Capenna. Uh, Theodore's headquarters or whatever the heck these things are called, they're all plain specific. And that's incredibly important for reprint equity because it means we either have to come back to Capenna or it has to be done in a supplemental set because Rafine's tower doesn't exist anywhere else. And I think it'll be a few years at the earliest if we see these again, because we still have a bunch of other cycles we need to finish. Yeah. And the, this, oh, go ahead. Say, the verbiage around these and the cycling mechanic made it seem like Wasti was just fed up. They're like, here you go. Yeah. We're going to finish this cycle. Call it done. No other cards will have cycling. Good day. Goodbye. Yeah. And... And they did say, oh, we want cycling to be evergreen, but we really want to emphasize it in sets where it matters. Well, it doesn't matter in this set. Not at all. So to me, it's clearly, like you said, man, we've had a lot of people begging us to finish this cycle. We finished the, you know, luxury suite cycle. This is the next EDH cycle we need to finish so people shut up. Let's just do it. And that's kind of what it feels like. And look... You know what, Wizards? Go for it. That's what you want to do. Awesome. I know this is a good long-term play, so I'm going to make money on your desire to finish the cycle for EDH players. Fine. Uh, Not to mention another reason that I'm kind of going for the basic version, uh, as we touched on in our variant podcast, and as there is a lovely article that Ben Blyweiss put out this week about um, Commander Legends 2. And how all of a sudden the way collector's boosters, the way set boosters are opening and being opened puts pressure on these base versions of the card because there's not as many of them out there because people aren't opening set boosters. And just due to the way the seating and collector boosters works, you're not going to get as many of these basic arts as you are the borderless that looks like a Batman animated series. Um skyscape you know uh or the borderless one there will be more of those out there so you have this really interesting back and forth with that and we'll see how it goes but i don't think that if your floor is ketria triome and you take the double up in a year is a bad place to be no i i don't i don't think the triumphs are a bad place to be in general just based on the historics just looking at what we have Finishing the cycle is hugely important, and it is the opportunity for, as we were talking about last week, unbridled growth into the end of the year. And <laughs> yep, these are all fantastic uh, pickups. One of the things I don't feel bad about is taking my ABU credit and paying over market when I have to to extract triumphs because I believe. Sure. Exactly. I, I'll pay, you know, the 20% or whatever markup over market yeah. because it's credit. I've already made that. And I believe in them similarly to the way I believe in Shocklands, especially for Commander. Look how fast they were ate up or eaten up by the Commander community and how quickly the non-breeding pool lands went up in price after that. Yeah. And I don't think you can go wrong with these quantity TBD. I think that's, a, again, a matter of yeah. a, uh, opinion and ability. If your locals 
don't crack packs and you can be the resource to bring these into those players, I think then you might want to go a bit deeper. Yeah. And even if, and especially if it's going to be a type of thing where you're going to be, you know, you're not quite ready for events yet, but you may be looking at going into them later. This is one of those cards that I think you want to stock up on now, knowing when I go to events, this is going to be in demand. I'm going to need more of these and people will ask for them. And that's important. Yep. Which I think is great. Um, So I, I, I like the call out. I guess the only question I have is um, you would cast a wide net. You wouldn't just pick tower. Yeah, no, not, not just Rafine's tower. That was just the one. Cause we have to pick one as an yep. example. Yeah. That's the one I picked because to me, Esper and uh, rug have basically the same like level of playability and demand across multiple formats. They both have iconic generals in those colors. They both have, good playability into a fourth color so it was just you know not really an apples to apples but like a grapefruit to tangerine comparison they're at least somewhat adjacent to each other yeah Yeah. exactly i just wanted to make sure because we did talk a lot about rafine's tower in particular yeah but we also started we also started to make some generalities so as far as the the pick is concerned it's not just locked on the tower it is all no yeah it's it's any of them in the base version of the card all right cool yeah i i I like the pick i like being foundational when we can be and hammering home lessons when we have the ability to and who knows maybe when baldur's gate drops we'll yell about reflecting pool and why that's a 25 dollar card and if it tanks to anywhere realistic you should buy into that so maybe that'll show up as a pick but uh, until then or next week whichever happens first we are mtg cabalcast on twitter patreon facebook and youtube you can get the audio podcast wherever you can get an audio podcast if they want to reach you on twitter at thirsty sizzler i am at halt i am reptar and we'll see you next week